Welcome to episode 126 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below, and it makes my day that you've chosen to spend this time with me and my guest. Whether this is your first or your 126th episode, I hope you hear something that makes you smile, sparks an insight, improves your business, or maybe even changes your life. I'll make this introduction quick since I want to get right to my delightful conversation with Jenny. First, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know over the past few years I've shared different strategies for getting unstuck and moving through the tough stuff that we all encounter as entrepreneurs and in fact as human beings. Usually when I share those thoughts, I'm feeling strong, probably because I've come out the other side of feeling that stuckness. Well, this summer has been especially challenging for me for lots of different reasons that I won't go into here. And in fact, I'm still feeling a little bit stuck right now, but I feel the tide turning. And it's because of one simple thing that I don't know that I've highlighted adequately before. And that's this, I acknowledged not just to myself, but to someone else that I was struggling. We introverts can have a tendency to keep our feelings to ourselves, not easily opening up about the churning inside that we might be experiencing, even to those we love. I noticed this about myself about 18 years ago, and I've been working on it ever since. I still have to work on opening up and sharing my internal struggles. So the other night, I told my husband that I was having a lot of trouble adjusting to the changes that we have chosen to make over the past few months. He knew I was out of sorts, as I did, but neither of us appreciated the extent to which I was stuck deep in the muck. And a funny thing happened after I shared my feelings. I started to feel the heaviness lift. I didn't feel so alone. It became a little bit easier to put one foot in front of the other. Now, we didn't have this big, long, deep conversation about the situation. We didn't analyze it or try to figure out the root of it. I just shined the light on it, and it made the whole thing seem smaller. We all know that fears grow in the dark. So what can you do to shine the light on something that's bothering you if you feel out of sorts? Have you admitted the problem to yourself? And then who do you trust in your life to share it with? And what is the compassionate response to the challenge? That compassionate response might be releasing pressure on yourself, engaging in a nurturing activity, or letting go of any need for things to be perfect or to go a certain way. As Dr. Seuss wrote, sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. If you're feeling stuck, it can feel very complicated. So what's the simple answer? Name it and claim it, and don't shame it. And at some point, share it. And that's the theme for today's episode. Changing directions, finding and creating new ways of being, and taking care of ourselves along the way. My guest is Jenny Blake. Jenny is an author, career and business strategist, and international speaker who helps people organize their brain, move beyond burnout, and build sustainable, dynamic careers that they love. Jenny is the author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. 
You can find her at jennyblake.me, where she explores systems at the intersection of mind, body, and business. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a while, so welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Me too. Well, what is making you smile today? I have to say, coming on this podcast and being <laughs> podcasting in general makes me smile because I love that we get to record a conversation and then have share it with people and and I love listening to podcasts and it does I just started my own too and it it makes me smile to get to do this and to have connecting and learning from each other be a real form of content creation these days it's fun absolutely and congratulations on the launch of yours Thank you. is it it's called the pivot podcast yep, it's called pivot podcast okay. I pivot actually podcast. um kind of soft launch it really uh, launch and iterate style. That's something we used to say at Google in um, <laughs> 2014, just uploading to SoundCloud. And I would even say on the shows, I don't have any fancy intro music or outro music, <laughs> but I'm going to riff on this topic today. So then finally awesome. a year later, I took it pro. Yeah, well, that's a great example of just like jumping in and doing something. It doesn't, you know, done is better than perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you just get it done and you discovered that you enjoyed it and here you are. So it's awesome. Well, I like to start out just by giving our listeners a little context. Um, since this is the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast, uh, I'd love to ask my guests, where do you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum? And how has that awareness influenced your professional path? It's interesting because really early in my career in Myers-Briggs, I would test as an E. I would come out ENFJ. And mm -hmm. then, but it kind of always felt a little off. And I'm probably, am a, a mix. But when I did the step two in Myers-Briggs, there are five facets of every dimension. And I was on, on the introverted extrovert. I was introverted on four dimensions and very mm. extroverted on just one, which is my career. Wow. So people will look at what I do and say, you're a public speaker, you're an author, you're a blogger, you write about yourself, you must be extroverted. But actually, the more I have found in the last 10 years, the more of that work I do the more time I need and crave to be alone and recharge and all of those things pretty much take energy and I have to have massive amounts of recharging on my own. Yeah. So that helped me to understand the breakdown of this one area that I am extroverted, but really on the rest and how I operate my day-to-day -day life. I mean, I live and work alone. Books are how I recharge yoga. So always the social piece is the one I'm trying to finagle and figure out how to, how to make that work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this isn't your first. We're, we're, one of the reasons we're talking is because you have a new book um, called Pivot. And um, and this isn't your first book. You you wrote one a few years ago, correct? Yes. yes. And it's, I'm, I'm curious about, um, as an author, how do you see um, that balance that you're having to strike? It, it seems to me that, you know, because of that, um, that one piece of sort of raging extrovert that contributes pretty heavily to your ability to be able to both introvert and, you know, do the work that needs to be done in terms of writing a book, but also to extrovert and market well, it. Yes. And it's so interesting you say that because I thrived being a hermit for three years, you know, the pivot I've been <laughs> exactly. working on for three years and, there is just so much time alone. And I, I don't want to say, oh, writing a book is hard because I, I think it's a privilege. Mm -hmm. It is complex and it does involve a lot of thinking and reflection and deep thought. And for me, time alone and 
uh, I have all these, you know, morning and evening routines and things that give me structure. And so it is very interesting now shifting into marketing mode. And it, I have to say, it's not my natural mode. I'll mm. do it. But for me, the more I believe in something and the more that I have worked kind of in the introvert mode for three years now, okay, I'm willing to put myself out there and it makes it more worth it, you know, and I really feel <laughs> right. like I can get stand behind something. And, um, but it, it is such a different form of energy. So even I notice my meditations, it's harder for me to sit still for the 20 minutes. I'm getting more, um, it's like popcorn incoming requests and little things and little mm-hmm. tasks and people wanting to connect or people I haven't even heard from in 10 years who say, Oh, I see you're launching a book. And I do find that it can be overwhelming. So it makes mm-hmm. all of the self care practices so much more important because while I'm so honored and it's a sign that everything's working, it's quite overwhelming for someone who is pretty happy with a quiet <laughs> existence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just learning and constantly learning how to, how to juggle the two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to start at the beginning about pivoting. (laughs) And when you talk about pivoting, what does that mean? And on a more personal level, perhaps, well, first, I want to know before we generalize it, um, when you talk about pivoting, what does it mean? And where have you experienced your own pivots? So I have co-opted the word pivot. It's typically thrown around in Silicon Valley (laughs) and business circles that when a company is headed in the wrong direction or plan A failed, they, we always hear about they pivot and they go to plan B. So Twitter used to be a podcasting service. YouTube used to be a video dating site. These companies pivoted into now multi-billion dollar businesses. What happened for me was I kept hitting what felt like a quarter life crisis or mm-hmm. a midlife crisis. We invented the term quarter life crisis in 2007, <laughs> but it was happening for me every two years where I was really hitting a wall and saying, what's next and feeling such existential angst. And what happened this last time was I'd been working at Google five and a half years. I quit and I was doing coaching and career development. I quit to launch my first book, Life After College in 2011. And I rode the adrenaline of that for about a year because I was mm-hmm. determined not to you know, prove people say that they were right because they thought I was crazy to leave. But then sure enough, and that was a very hard decision to leave Google. Sure enough, two years in, I hit another wall. And this time I was saying, what's next again? And Mm -hmm. I felt I really spent too much time beating myself up and saying, am I ever going to be happy? I wasn't even happy at Google, the Disneyland of companies. Now I left. I thought (laughs) I wanted to do my own business, but I don't want to talk about life after college for the rest of time. And what's wrong with me? And I, I came to one of two conclusions that one, there was in fact, something wrong with me and I was going to be destined to be unhappy the rest of my life and do this every two years or this searching, this crisis feeling is accelerating. And that because of all the changes we're seeing in the economy due to technology and innovation, we're all going to be asked and answering what's next more often. And as I started doing research for the book, I realized that it's really the latter, that we're all facing this. And I was determined, you know, I got to the point where I didn't know how I was going to pay my next month's rent. And I was going to have to leave New York and go back and find another job. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it didn't feel right for me. And that's in that Mm -hmm. moment, I thought I have to figure this out. And I was angry (laughs) looking at all the books on my bookshelf. I've read over 400 business, personal development, finance, (laughs) fitness, you name it, nonfiction books. 
And I was angry. None of them were helping me get out of this pickle. So that's mm. the, I, I thought, how can people be more agile, just like startups? And Pivot is my way of renaming it from a crisis into a mindset and a method that we can all use and there's nothing wrong with us and it's just oh it's time to pivot and those pivots can be small within our, our role or business or bigger changes it seems it could have really profound impacts on uh, you know especially entrepreneurs and because one of the things that it seems applicable to is um when someone is choosing their target market or a niche and just what you said before, do I want to be talking about life after college for the rest of my life, you know? <laughs> and and sometimes people have trouble narrowing down something because they feel like, oh my gosh, if I do this, I'm like setting it in stone. I can never change. I can never pivot. And what I appreciate about what you're saying is that you're giving us permission to um, embrace the opportunity that comes from that, maybe that restlessness that might happen, because that restlessness is probably a sign that you're not just that you are, um, and this is something I'm curious about from you, um, your perspective. It's not just because you're bored necessarily where you are, but you also maybe are being called forward towards something else. And you might not have quite identified it yet, but you probably, you probably have an inkling. It's just a matter of claiming it and saying, I can do that. You know, that's not just a pipe dream, but I can pivot and follow that path, even if it seems crazy. Absolutely. And I, as I call them in the book, you know, some people are high net worth individuals. There's mm-hmm. a, a segment that I call high net growth. And these I are love people that. who, thank you, yeah, <laughs> who will optimize for growth. And when their growth needs are being met, they optimize for impact. So I call them impactors mm-hmm. for short. That um, a pivot, a plateau is a natural thing that actually it's a sign mm-hmm. of your success, especially as entrepreneurs. It's a sign that you have reached this new level in your business. Or as you said, maybe you're looking to shift the market. And the key about a pivot for whether it's for career or even entrepreneurs in our business, that it's not a 180. It is not, we are not starting from scratch. So I mm-hmm. define a pivot as a methodical shift in a new related direction and specifically one that doubles down on what's already working. So any of us can look at our business and say, how am I already getting clients? Who are my favorite clients? What am I enjoying the most in my day-to-day work? These are questions that we can build from, even if you're only liking 10% of your business or your Mm. clients or whatever it is, and you're really in a tough spot, start from what's working. Because the biggest mistake that I made was I was so focused on what wasn't working, what I didn't want, and what I didn't yet have, that none of that propelled the conversation forward to the point where my bank account got to zero Mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to be able to pay the rent. And so it was only when I started going back to what was working in my business and building more methodically from those assets that I already had in my favor, then I started to regain momentum and traction. If you don't mind, I'm going to pull in another book to this conversation and that switch from Chip and Dan Heath, um, which might have been one of those 400 that you (laughs) had on your shelf. Um, But they talk about something that very similar to what you're saying about finding the bright spots. You know, we, when we're struggling or we need to solve a problem, we so often focus on what's not working and how can we fix it instead of saying what is working and how can we replicate it? Right. And I also think it's helpful to look at, well, not, not, I think it is very helpful to (laughs) define one year vision. So I find that five years out is too much that, that interview question, where do you see yourself in five years? Who knows? There's so much happening so quickly, but oftentimes we can say what success would look like a year from now. What's happening? Mm -hmm. What does your ideal day look like? If you could become an expert at something, what would that be? 
if for entrepreneurs, how much do you want to be earning? What types of clients do you want? What's your revenue pie? You know, how do you want your revenue breakdown, mm-hmm. revenue streams to go? And that by articulating some of these known variables, so the bright spots, like you mentioned from Switch, your strengths, mm-hmm. your interests, your values, and where you want to end up a year from now. Well, now we've set two points on the map, where we are now, where we want to be a year mm-hmm. from now. And it's easier to bridge that gap in a more focused way rather than looking for opportunities in every corner and then feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> yes. And and part of your model and your framework is, if I'm um, remembering this correctly, there's a plant foot and a pivot foot, sort yes. of having your foot in both worlds. Could, would you say a little bit about that? What occurred, to, this is what came to me when I was really trying to figure out how to stay alive in my business. And it was like a basketball player. And I realized that a basketball player, when they stop dribbling, one foot is planted. It's not moving mm. and it's grounded. And then the other foot can scan for opportunity. And so I had been running around the court in circles like a crazy person, essentially, when I was trying to fix my business and that wasn't working. So the plant, this analogy of the basketball player helped me understand I have got to be grounded in these mm-hmm. strengths that I already have. And it's from that foundation that will give me the room to now scan for related opportunities. So for example, I thought to myself, I've already been coaching for years. Why, what, I, I should not be at this point where I have zero dollars in the campaign of rent. Like, <laughs> so I started calling up all my old favorite clients because these are people who had already hired me and I loved working with them when we already had a relationship. And I, I asked them if they would do 30-30 brainstorm calls with me. I had a new program I was thinking of launching and I would love their feedback and then I'll help them brainstorm anything they want for 30 minutes. And I think I pr- personally prefer that method for connection calls rather than, I mean, Please don't ever say, can I pick your brain to someone? But <laughs> uh, why not do an exchange where you each get a little something? So a 30-30 yeah. is easy for people to say yes to. And as a result of all their feedback, I created a program called Brilliance Barter, which is now renamed Momentum. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, I got my first five Brilliance Barter. It was a mix of coaching clients and a mas- mastermind group. And that paid the rent. Okay, so now the rent was paid. So now mm-hmm. I could build upon Brilliance Barter. I could get more coaching clients. I could reconfigure my speaking. And so that's a really practical example of going back to something that's already working. Nice. Well, I'm guessing that your successful pivot in that um, situation depended on lots of things. And, and one of those is enlisting others in the journey. And that can be kind of challenging for the typical introvert. And it's not because we don't like people, but because it's another level of energy to expend in addition to the change that the energy requires of us. Um, And you use a phrase that I love. You say non-nausea inducing networking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's often how we feel, you know, we're like, oh, just get me out of here. So what's your approach to making those connections um, that can help us to focus on, you know, what's most important and maximizing our energy? This is so key uh, for for the introvert extrovert conversation because our strength as introverts is deep conversation with fewer people. At least I feel it is mm-hmm. for me. So when I go to a conference, yeah. I give myself permission that success is if I connect with one person deeply and we really resonate and we hit it off. That's it. One, one is fine. And so mm-hmm. I don't have the pressure and I don't enjoy buzzing around, handing out business cards, trying to go for quantity over quality. <laughs> and so I think as introverts, it's also knowing our strengths and 
I don't I don't have some systemized networking thing where I'm like it's pinging me of when I need to follow up with people. I don't have the energy for that. But when I do hang out, it's more small groups and it's really deep conversation and I think that you know, it's like I don't want to stereotype too much, but I think some strengths that introverts have are listening deeply and being very thoughtful. And I, I know for me, I bring a lot of resources to the table because I do spend so much time alone. So I'm like <laughs> reading something interesting or I have a lot of value I bring to a conversation so that even if I'm connecting with fewer people, that the connections are stronger and I let that be okay. And I don't put the pressure to do the surface level thing unless it happens to feel good. I love what you're saying about uh, setting realistic expectations about the networking that really play to our strengths of having, you know, making deeper connections. And so defining success as just I make one sincere connection um, relieves so much pressure. Um, so thank you for offering that to us. Um, that's really, that's really nice. Sure. And I think if we look back and, and all of us on this who are listening can look back and say, what are the relationships I value the most? How did I form those? So again, we can reverse engineer the, our most successful relationships. And sure, we all probably have some magic serendipitous surface level thing that turned into something great, but even those you kind of can't plan for. And so we can all look back and say, what's my preferred formula for meeting people? I'll give a sideways example. I cannot stand online dating apps. I just won't do it. And that's like hell to me is like going to many different coffees with people and sort of forcing myself when I'd rather mm -hmm. be reading a book. So I joke that I do real life Tinder. Like I'll just be friendly. And <laughs> life if I meet people out and about, that's what works for me. And some people don't mind doing the numbers game or doing apps. And so that's an example where I just had to say, that is not for me. I don't, there's nothing I do in my life where I hate the process, but something good comes from it. So I think we have yeah. to find ways for networking or marketing or whatever ing word is giving us hives <laughs> and, uh, and say, what's, what's going to feel fun and easy as a process and then trust that that will lead to a great outcome. Well, in the spirit of doing what is best for you, um, you pinpoint on an expression that I 100% share your disdain for. And that's, you can sleep when you're dead. You know, ah, that's, I don't, no. ah, no. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's one of those things that becomes a should. And so if I'm an entrepreneur, if I'm going to be successful, then I'll sleep when I'm dead. I should be working all night, you know. And it, to me, it represents this um, side of entrepreneurship that can repel introverts who prize their recovery and alone time which often, at least for me, includes copious amounts of sleep. <laughs> so if I wanted to have that motto, my body would oh, disagree so completely, exactly. which is why I don't. But I don't know about, I mean, after just two or three days of disrupted sleep and all of our systems start shutting down. So mm -hmm. to me, it makes no sense. As an entrepreneur, your body is your business. Yeah. Your ability to operate at 100% sleep is the most crucial thing we can do. Sleep, diet, and exercise. And so, yeah, to cut that short, I, I don't, honestly, I can't. If I get disrupted sleep for even a week, I'm sick. Yeah. So, I, yeah, thank you for saying that. Well, well how, do you, how do you, or what tips would you have for honoring that need for that kind of rejuvenation while still answering, like you said, all of those little pings that we get of people who want a piece of us? Um, how do we make room for that or honor it? By recognizing how important these things are, they become less of a 
how do we do it? And I think we just do it because, so yeah. it's really important to find the intrinsic motivation behind these things. So if someone would, if I read in a book and it said, you should get X amount of hours of sleep and I didn't truly feel that and believe it, it would be hard. We would have to use willpower, whether this is how you eat, how you work, any of it. So I think that what's important is connecting to what's really important to me about that. What's really important to me about getting a great night's sleep and I'm the friend that leaves a party. I go to bed many nights. I'm embarrassed to say this on your show at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. In the summer, the sun hasn't even set yet. I am the one leaving parties. I'm always the first to leave because I want my sleep. And so I think yeah. it's also owning these quirks. And mm -hmm. I know that my work and my morning rituals are so important to me. I It's a dream when I can wake up before sunrise, have tea, read a book, and have a two or three hour wind up before I even sit down at my desk. And so I think part of, you know, in the financial world, they say, pay yourself first. Well, I think mm -hmm. in terms of energy, especially for introverts, pay yourself first with your energy, build your morning and evening routines in a way that really rejuvenate you. And then I block my people interaction time. So first of all, I work on my most important project first and only, I will only even check my email starting at 10 or 11 AM, unless yeah. it's a really kind of an, a different or off day. I do mm -hmm. calls between 11 and two latest 3 PM. If someone wants to schedule a call, a coaching call, or even a podcast after 4 PM, I just say, I won't even be good at that hour. My brain, literally mm -hmm. my brain just shuts down and I'm a waste of space, you know? Like yeah. you don't want me at that hour. So then I'll go meet a friend for coffee or go to a yoga class. And so I structure my day in such a way that the people push is matched up to the right energy window. And it's not too early in the day because that's for me and my important projects. And it's not too late in the day because that's also when I need to recharge. Well, to to wrap up things in terms of the, the pivot piece, if someone is feeling, you know, someone listening to this is feeling like they're in that pivot place, <laughs> a pivot is upon them. Yes. What are the most important things for them to consider at that particular moment in time? One thing is to realize that we're almost all heading into a pivot or just coming out of one. So first, don't take it personally. There's nothing wrong with you or your business if you are at a pivot point. And what makes these pivot points less jarring is when we embrace a mindset of constantly looking at what are my strengths? What's working? Okay, great. What's out there? Who can I talk to? What skills can I learn? And then small experiments. So if you can be running several small experiments concurrently, it takes the pressure off of having the one best next move lined up. And so mm -hmm. a lot of what creates paralysis is when we're looking too far outside of ourselves or the pivot is too sharp of a turn. So if we're trying mm -hmm. to turn too drastically from where we are right now, it feels very intimidating to the point where we do nothing. And so I would recommend that, you know, the, the two questions that I love to ask, and you can ask this every day, every week, once a year, but what one next step can I do in the next week? And what one next step would make the biggest impact? And another way to ask this is if you're going to do an experiment in your business, whether it's with a pricing model or a new type of client or a new product or even a new content area, what's one small thing I can do to test this mm -hmm. in the next week? And then what's one experiment that I can run that would make the biggest impact on my business and where I want to end up a year from now? That's really powerful. Um, a great reminder that uh, a big pivot is a series of small pivots. Yes. Is, is what I'm hearing. And uh, give ourselves space to do Especially, that. Especially, you know, I really want, because this is a podcast for entrepreneurs, 
one of my favorite books is Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb, and the subtitle is Things That Gain From Disorder. There's mm. such a gift that we learn as entrepreneurs about how to sit right at the edge of uncertainty. We don't know always. We don't have a paycheck coming every two weeks. I mean, maybe some of you have your business structured in such a way <laughs> that you actually have these amazing recurring revenue streams that are very predictable. And if so, that's, that's fantastic. But mm-hmm. even still, to get to that point, you've had to learn the skill of uncertainty and of being calm within that and finding focus and flow and customizing your day and setting the agenda. These skills are pivot 201 you know as entrepreneurs mm-hmm. you have such an edge to set you've been pivoting so i actually you know again when i think we're not listening to the smaller signals about what's not working or we aren't running the small experiments then that's when we can kind of get whacked upside the head with a cosmic two by four that says like screech you know everything goes haywire mm-hmm. we lose our biggest client and those moments are sometimes very informative but for the most part entrepreneurs are already great at experimenting constantly and so know that you know for everyone listening i'm probably not telling you something new but it's actually Mm -hmm. to just empower you that you're already doing this and beth like you said that bigger pivots are often comprised of many smaller ones Mm, great. Well, I've I've loved this conversation. And honestly, when I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you and, and reading your book and looking at all of the material, I thought, oh, there's so many different directions I could go with this. So I hope that you, uh, I, I hope that you will, um, I already want to extend yes. an invitation to come back. I would love that. I know. I feel like <laughs> we can talk future. for hours. <laughs> exactly. We yeah. have so much more to cover and, and so much that I think would be of interest to um, introvert entrepreneurs specifically, but just in general. Um, so uh, I look I, great. I look forward to continuing this. Um, and so to wrap things up, I want to ask you a question. I ask all of my guests, and I suppose this three-week vacation on Introvert Island might take place a little bit after your book launch because <laughs> you're probably going to need it. <laughs> um, but you you have this three-week vacation on Introvert Island, and you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you, and why? Oh my goodness. Only three books? Are you sure I can't take my Kindle with like a hundred books? I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) This question when I first started out used to be you have a year vacation on Introvert Island and you can only have three books. So (laughs) I'm gonna have to do a compendium of like ten books within a book. Uh-huh. I, the complete yeah, works exactly. <laughs> So on that note, I have the I Ching on my shelf and I haven't read it. So I would wow. bring that because it's kind of a brick of a book, but I really want to read it. And mm-hmm. I know it can be used as an oracle. So in the three weeks, I would flip it open to a random page and that would be fun. Nice. Uh, my other two books, I love the book Outrageous Openness by Tosha Silver. I could reread that over and over and over. It's such a joyful book and that perspective of just releasing the need for so much control. So that 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 book I can never read too many times. And if there's a third, well, I'm trying to learn Spanish. I'm, I want my goal is to get fluent in Spanish. And so I actually bought the four hour work week in Spanish because I mm-hmm. recognized that when I did Duolingo, I was bored by like learning how to say, where's the fire station? So I wanted to learn about business. And I thought <laughs> that would make me more interested in reading a book in Spanish. So I would bring four hour work week in Spanish. 
Awesome. What a what a fabulous um, technique, <laughs> you know, yeah. to bridge that my, gap. My new secret is I buy the book in Spanish and English. So pa- um, oh, yeah. Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, he has a ton of books that are published in both languages. For our work week, I had to pay $40 for the Spanish edition paperback because wow. I guess they don't print them anymore. Mm-hmm. But I bring both English and Spanish with me. And so then when I get, I circle what I don't know, I read one page in Spanish, circle what I don't know, and then I could go look at the English version and fill in the blanks. So instead of having to look up in a dictionary. Yeah. Oh, I love there's it. My, there's my language learning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I bet Tim Ferriss would approve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. It seems right in line with his, uh, you know, immersion kind of way of learning yes. things. So, well, Jenny, what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about your work and, and specifically um, your new book, Pivot? Yeah, that's all at pivotmethod.com. We have, there's a pivotability index. If you want to see what <laughs> your three pivot profiles, that's on there in the tool toolkit section. And I also have an awesome team of six pivot coaches. So in, mm-hmm. if anyone wants a one month jump start, that's at pivotmethod.com slash coaching. And I'm on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Awesome. Great. Lots of wonderful places to connect with you. And, um, and pivot comes out on September 6th. <laughs> 2016 for anyone who's listening to this in the in the distant future and um and i'm so excited for this book to come out and for people to learn from it i i know personally it's just as we're talking all these different people that i've (laughs) worked with over the years they just keep popping in my head of like oh they would really get a lot out of this um affirmation and um and framework to help them you know really embrace what is going to be a, you know a critical skill really in in the in the new quote unquote the new economy <laughs> so um, thank you so much for that and congratulations again on the launch well, of the book thank you so much Beth I absolutely love what you're doing and your work as well so it's oh, a big you. honor to be here and huge thanks too to everybody for listening I'm serious about having Jenny back in a few months to continue our conversation because there's so much value in her book and her ideas that we just can't capture them all in one episode. So stay tuned for part two of our conversation coming later this year. And before then, be sure to pick up a copy of Jenny's book available on September 6th, wherever fine books are sold. To circle back to the opening theme of this podcast about sharing with others, I have two reminders for you about offerings this fall from The Introvert Entrepreneur. There's the virtual book group where you can join with fellow readers of my book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, for discussion and sharing. The group meets weekly for six weeks, and in addition to the live conversations about the concepts in the book and how you can apply them to your business, you receive bonus readings and material to support your business growth. There's more information and registration at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash bookgroup. I also invite you to consider joining one of the mastermind groups that I'm forming in September. One is open topic, meaning that you can bring whatever's most important to you and your business to the discussion. The second one is focused on building your public speaking skills. You can learn more about both groups and the enrollment process at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash mastermind. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I'm feeling lots of gratitude for you, for my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and my assistant, Naja. I hope you'll join me for future episodes of The Introvert Entrepreneur. This is Beth Below, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.